Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 8th of May, 2022, from sorrow to joy. Sometimes I think there is divine orchestration. Well, let's change that. There's always divine orchestration. Sometimes I even see it. How's that? Is that closer to the truth? In preparing this message today, I couldn't help but reflect on the fact that this message would be given on Mother's Day. And I hadn't planned it that way. I hadn't thought about the subject matter before preparing this week. And then to add added emphasis to it, you'd have to be deaf not to have heard what's going on in our nation as the Supreme Court is getting ready to make some decision about Roe v. Wade and it leaks out into the public possibility of how they may decide and boy, that just brings up all this stuff and stirs it all up again. And I thought, wow, here it is, Mother's Day, and all this stuff is going on. And then our passage uses a Bible illustration to talk about mothers. I said, I couldn't have planned it better. So I'd like to talk about the subject as we look into this passage today, going from sorrow to joy. Now Jesus was talking to his disciples in our passage this morning in John chapter 16, verses 16 and following. And as he's speaking to them, this is part of what we call the upper room discourse, although we have said that he was probably already out of the room and headed towards the garden with his disciples. These things were being spoken on the way. Jesus has been encouraging, exhorting, comforting, <laughs> uh, just basically speaking these last words before he goes to the cross. He knows exactly what's coming. He has warned them repeatedly that these things were going to happen. They sort of shook it off because they, I think, partly didn't want to hear it and partly wondering then, what would we do? How many have prepared a will? Have you prepared a will? Have you thought about preparing a will, but you just haven't got to it yet? You go, why haven't you got to it if you know it's so important? I don't want to just have to deal with it. And I think the disciples were like that. If you talk about the Messiah leaving, if you talk about this one we've been following for, for years now, it's going to be gone. I don't want to hear it, you know. Don't tell me. But Jesus warns them and says it's going to happen. 
And in verse 16, he says, it comes back to this theme again. He had just told them, and we covered this last week, about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go away, because then I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to continue teaching. He's going to empower you. He's going to guide you. But he says in verse 16, a little while and you'll see me no longer. I'm going away. And he says, and again, in a little while, you will see me. And of course, the disciples go, what in the world is he talking about? Where is he going? What is he going to be doing? What does he mean when he says we won't see him? What does he mean when he says, you'll see me again? I don't get it. And so they're asking the questions back and forth, and the passage deals with that. And so Jesus, in verse 19 says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. See, they weren't saying this to his face. They were saying it to one another. I'm going, do you have a clue what he's talking about? I don't know what he's up to. What is he up to? So Jesus raises the question, and he says, this is what you're asking, isn't it? You know, not like, not like the Savior just to ask a good question about, sort of expose everything. So he does. He says, truly I say to you, in verse 20, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Something about his going away will cause them to weep and lament. And just a little aside, because it's not really the thrust of this message, I just wanted to show the contrast to those that are spiritually inclined and those who are not. He says, the world, when you are weeping, the world will be rejoicing. And we know that he's referring to the hours to come when Jesus is going to be arrested and then dragged in, go through the mockery of a trial, taken to uh, Pontius Pilate, then over to Herod, back to Pontius Pilate, be condemned to death and put on the cross. What's going on? The disciples are shook as we would be. He says, but what's the world doing? The world's rejoicing. We're getting rid of this troublemaker. The religious leaders had been plotting his death as we have seen. And then when he raised Lazarus, they said, let's throw him into that batch and let's get rid of him too. The world is always going to be in opposition to the things of God. Now, sometimes it's not overt, but sometimes it is overt. And this is going to be one of those times where it's all going to come together and they are going to see about getting rid of Jesus Christ. So he tells his disciples, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And there's a period there. But he's not done. 
And I love the fact that he's not done. For he says, you will be sorrowful. But you sorrow, your sorrow will turn to joy. The disciples were going to watch this. They were going to be in the garden when the soldiers were going to come. They would see him hauled away. We know that then they followed afar off, and when he was taken to a trial, they were sort of on the outs. Then John and Peter got a little closer, but they got to see these horrendous things being played out in front of them. And then after Pilate, they saw him go through the streets, and they were there at the foot of the cross. And their hearts are broken. I think all of us at one time or another have experienced the loss of someone close to us. When we go through that, it speaks to the very depths and deepest elements of our lives. And Jesus said, you're going to sorrow. You're going to lament. It's going to touch you deeply. But, he says, when the world is rejoicing, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. In the moment of sorrow, there was little joy. They weren't rejoicing at the fact that Jesus was hanging on the cross. They had seen him come out and he had been beaten and abused. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews in, is speaking to this very issue and he says, looking unto Jesus, in verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And as he writes those words, we think in terms of what Jesus went through. The idea of enduring literally was to stay the course, to continue even with pain. Jesus was willing to do that. Most of us are familiar with Isaiah 53, but for a moment, I want you to go with me to Isaiah 52, a lesser known portion, but it leads into Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 52, he says, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And then in verse 14 of Isaiah 52, he says, and many, oh, um, this translation says, and many were astonished at you. 
when I went to seminary, we had to, we were given the task in Hebrew to study this passage, and literally, it is startled, literally shaken at what they see. What? It says, his appearance was so marred beyond human, human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And so he shall startle many nations and kings shall shut their mouth because of him. In other words, like, oh, wow, look what happened to him. Here's that idea that he was literally beaten to a pulp, hardly recognized as, as the writer of Isaiah, as he writes this book, he says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. He was hardly recognized as a man. And Jesus says, you will weep and you will lament. Can you imagine Jesus walking with disciples, teaching, performing miracles, raising the dead, healing the lame, curing those that were blind and helping them to see, listening to his words and the people responding by saying, nobody speaks with authority like this guy. And now... They're in that hour, and Jesus said, you will weep and lament when you see what's about to happen. And they see him paraded through the town and out to the town, out of the town to Calvary. was put on a cross and hung there for all to see. <clears throat> Disciples shaken by that. Jesus had said a little while and you won't see me and again you will see me. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament. This will be what's about to happen to you. But the world will rejoice. They'll go, yes, we got him. Yes, we took him. We abused him. Hebrews says, he endured the cross and he despised the shame and then the despising the first he endured that continual pain but he despised the shame in other words he disregarded the fact that he was humiliated it's hard for me to imagine and I imagine the same is for you. 
how deep the humiliation was. For here, we're talking about not only man, we're talking about the Son of God. John records in the first chapter, he came into his own and his own received him not. And here we see how deep that receiving not went when Jesus was humiliated. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 10 as he's going through this uh, process. Jesus had said before he ever got there in Mark 10, 33 and 34, see, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And what are the Gentiles going to do? What are these Romans going to do? And they will mock him and they will spit upon him. They will flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Well, that's what he predicted would happen. But in Mark chapter 15, it tells us exactly what happened. That Pilate had turned them over to the soldiers. And in verse 16 of Mark 15, it says, The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. This wasn't just a couple of, of men and a little squad to take care of, of abusing Jesus. They got the whole group together and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And I read a passage like that, and I go, if Jesus wasn't purposeful in what he was about, they didn't know who they were messing with and what he could have, what he could have done to it wasn't a matter that he was overcome. It wasn't a matter that he couldn't have defended himself. All he would have to do, the same one who spoke the words and the world came into being could have spoken the words and these men would have been wiped out. And they dared to strip him and clothe him in a cloak and, and mock him and kneel down before him and make a crown of thorns and put it on his head and spit on him. And they stripped him of his purple cloak, put on his own clothes, clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. You ever been spit on? You go, there's no great bodily harm in being spit on. 
But this, the idea of being spit on, shows disrespect, shows contempt, and Jesus was spit on. I told the story before. My dad was a pretty even-keeled guy. Didn't get ruffled. Pretty straight guy as far as just dealing with situations, calm or in order. We went to visit some people that I had grown up, we called this gal uh, aunt. She wasn't really, but she we called her that way. And she had gotten married and they had had a kid and we hadn't seen him for quite a while. And this little kid was now old enough to be in a high chair. And so we were there around the table and, and the kid, uh, hadn't been well-disciplined. And I was watching, I was sitting over here, and my dad was sitting at the end of the table, and the kid was here in the high chair, and the kid looked at my dad and then sort of brushed everything off onto the floor. So my dad <coughs> bent over and helped pick up some of the stuff and put it back onto onto his high chair and onto the, the little tray there. And the kid looked at my dad and wiped it onto the floor. My dad, again, bent over, picked it up, and as he was coming up to put it on the table, he was coming up and he was about kid height, and the kids spit on my dad's face. And I saw my dad. We were around in the area when they were warning about Mount St. Helens. And then we saw the explosion that went off there. And I was sitting over here, and I literally backed up in my seat. <laughs> I don't know what my dad is going to do, but I don't want to be anywhere close to what's going to happen next. And his face turned red, and I could see the anger rising in his face. And then he brought it under control, and I'm going, whoa, whoa. And that is as close as I've ever seen to having someone go nuclear, having been spit in the face. And Jesus was spit in the face. The Son of God who is used to hearing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, had his face spit Scripture says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured 
the cross and despised the shame. Disregarded the humiliation of the process because of the joy that was set before him. And so Jesus now comes to the illustration and he says, and when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Well, I haven't experienced that. So I turn to my local reference person and ask my wife. I said, so how was it giving birth to three kids? And she goes, it was an experience. I said, comparing now the pain and anguish of going through giving birth to three kids and having those three kids, do they sort of weigh out the same? And she looked at me really weird. She says, I've all but forgotten the pain. I've got three kids. Wow. And Jesus says he was speaking to his disciples, he says, what I'm going to go through and what is going to happen and you will see me no more. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to lament and you're going to see all the pain of what is about to be birthed. Don't focus on the pain. I'm not focusing on the pain. I'm focusing on what comes after. What is the joy? Coming back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 12, his joy was this. He says, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus was in the process of birthing a new kingdom, birthing a possibility of new life. He says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised his shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ was looking past the pain to the promise of life. And just as my wife compared those two, and I asked her without telling her what I was, why I was asking, I said, how would you compare the two? Are they just about equal, the pain and, and the result? And she goes, no. Says the, the pain I remember, but it's little and in the past. And the pleasure is still on. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples, saying, I'm going to go away 
for a little while and then you'll see me again. He says, and in the meantime, there will be a birthing process that will go on. There will be lots of pain. There will be lots of anguish. There will be lots of sorrow. I will experience it. You will experience in watching it. And then, what's going to come from that will be full of joy. And listen to what he says. In verse 22, So also, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And we're taken beyond the cross to the resurrection and the appearances of Jesus to his disciples. And how did they respond when they discovered that this one that they thought had been lost was alive again? Man. I love the story in the book of Acts when Peter on the day of Pentecost had been filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak and, he's, and he speaks with power and conviction. Why? Because he says, I serve a risen Savior. There's a lot of sorrow in seeing him go to the cross. There's a lot of joy and knowing that he is raised everlasting. So his joy was in bringing about life for us. And there's tons of other passages I could take you to. But Paul wasn't done when he starts writing his letters and his Epistles, and neither were the disciples. But he says, this was played out some 2,000 years ago, but it wasn't just in the life of Christ, this whole picture of, of sorrow that turns to joy. He says, that's a process that continues to go on. Listen to what he says in First Peter his was for the founder and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12. Ours is recorded in 1 Peter 1. He says, in this, rejoice. There's the word joy again. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Ah, there's the picture. The sorrow and the lament. And he says, you are being grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through him, though you have not seen him, you love him. And he speaks now to us. How many of us have seen Jesus? I've just taken a few minutes to paint a picture of what the disciples saw in the hours to come from this recording in John chapter 16 as Jesus was headed to the cross.
They're weeping and lamenting. But Peter, as he's writing in this epistle, he says, you're going through that same kind of process. You're going through trials. You're being tested. And he says, but it's going to come out to joy in your life. Listen to what he says. You haven't seen him and you love him. We saw him and we loved him. You haven't even seen him and you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Where's the joy? He says, as God is going to take you from being an unbeliever to a believer and then from a believer into his glory. So which is going to be tough? Any trials that we go on, go in in our lives or the glory to be experienced? Hmm. And Paul put a capstone on it as he was talking about ministry in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. He says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? What, what brings us joy? Is, is it not you? You are our glory. You are our joy. And I believe the admonition that the Lord was giving to his disciples when he says, don't focus on the pain because that's just part of the process. Focus on the end result. Just as a mother certainly at the time of giving birth is going through a painful experience. But afterwards, it's all but forgotten in the fact that she has given birth to a child. He says, likewise, as you go through trials, don't focus on the trials, but what it produces in the life. And the question that then came to me what was Jesus willing to go through to get where he had to go and where he wanted to go and what he hoped to see and what he did see and we go back to the fact that he was abused and misused and he went through it the pain the humility in order to accomplish something greater. And the question that came to me is, am I willing? Am I willing to put up with the process in order to see the goal? And Paul says, you are our joy. 
We find our joy in you. You have come to know the Lord. You are our joy. What process did Paul go through? All you have to do is read 2 Corinthians and you can see how he was beat up and, and he was abused and shipwrecked and left for dead and all those kind of things. And he says, you are a joy. All that stuff is, I'll talk about it because it happened, but that's nothing compared to you. What is God calling you and me to do? And are we we willing to go through the process? Jesus warned his disciples. He says, I'm going to go through this. But you're going to be there to watch and lament. You're going to weep. But then you will have joy. But what happens we have to go through the process. Are we looking beyond the process to the end result? May we discover that joy in full. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a word that Jesus gives to his disciples. What a word of ultimate glory and joy, even through a very, very tough process. Don't know what you have in store for us, but whatever process you take us through is worth it for the end result of seeing the joy of lives changed, of hope instilled in people's lives, and ultimate, ultimately glory as we are with you for all eternity and sharing that joy with others that we've had a part in leading and guiding to you as ministers of reconciliation. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.